Life is messy and hard and full of opportunities to learn and grow. This is Mandy Jenkins. I believe that our humanness makes us kindred and sharing our stories makes us brave. The goal of the Kindred and Brave Project is to support you in being a learner instead of a knower by offering actionable practices for you to try in your own lives. My podcast aims to cultivate community by focusing on heart-first, human-centered, story-driven connection. Welcome to the show. Happy 2024. Happy New Year. I'm so happy to be back with you all. And as promised, I have so much exciting stuff in store. I want to give a trigger warning for today's episode because I'm going to go deep into the depths of pet loss. And for some folks who have experienced this, it may still be fresh and this episode may need to be a later listen. So in today's episode, I want to smush the topics of grief and courage together. Now, I don't really think that's a wild idea because to grieve is a courageous act, but I think the connection that I've made over the last couple of weeks is really important. So I want to talk about the loss of a pet because I have lost my dearest pet since we've last recorded together. It opened up an entirely new wave of grief, even though I was, quote, waiting for it, and I, quote, knew it was coming, right? This is what's called anticipatory grief. So we've touched on this in previous episodes, but there are, in fact, different types of grief, different flavors, if you will. Anticipatory grief is a state of deep and painful sorrow that occurs before the loss happens. So our sweet boxer Luna was 12.99 years old. We've been watching her outside, looking into the distance, forgetting what she was doing, sleeping much more than usual, and not hearing well, if anything at all. In the last few months, this was noticeable enough for Andy, Micah, and myself that we'd get that pit in our stomachs when we had to corral her inside. Just a sad feeling, the knowing what was coming. In fact, a few days before Christmas this year, I had a talk with Micah. He's nine and a half, and I wanted to gently remind him to pay special attention to our sweet pup this year because I knew that it would be her last Christmas. He took the conversation well. He said, well, maybe, and I said, but probably not, and I just want you to be really present. I know that you'll be excited about everything that you're getting, but watch her open her presents too and give her some extra love. So again, she was 12 point. Nine, 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 nine years old. Her 13th birthday is this month on January 25th. I had somehow decided in my mind that she would live as long as our last boxer, which would mean, according to my math, that she would pass in February next month. Isn't it funny how our minds just beg to be in control? I moved to Seattle on January 1st 2011, 
And we got Luna when she turned eight weeks old on March 25th, that same year. So this dog was an integral part of my time in a brand new city, as well as the brand new relational evolution of what happened with my now husband and I. She was Andy's first dog. He was a cat person. I like cats too, but I think dogs are better. And for the first year of my life in Seattle, when the only person I really knew was Andy, she really did complete me. Seattle is the friendliest dog city in all the land. My mom used to be in awe of how welcoming they were of dogs and babies, but really they kind of seemed to like dogs more than anything. Dogs would go into stores, breweries, even some restaurants. The city is full of water bowls outside and treat dispensers for furry friends. So it really wasn't hard for me to treat her like a literal child. We took her everywhere with us. Because Seattle was never really too hot or too cold, Luna would sit in the car for errands knowing she'd get a swim or a walk afterward. She was also a seriously badass cross-country traveler. We tried to remember but I'm pretty sure she made the drive from Seattle to Chicago, or Chicago to Seattle, at least four times in her life. That girl loved to sleep in a hotel bed just as much as I did. Her favorite place, much like mine, was Cannon Beach, Oregon. The beach is so dog-friendly, and it's filled with dogs running like the wind into the surf and the sand. That was just a four-hour drive from our place, and we did it at least twice a year. Like my mama, we plan to release some of her ashes there first as a resting place. And because we don't even talk enough about human grief, let alone animal grief, we need to normalize that losing our beloved pets is grief. None of this grief Olympic shit like, oh, I know you lost your blank and she lost her blank, so I shouldn't be upset because it's just a dog and it could be worse. We're not going to do that here. Three days before my birthday this year, or I should say last year, see, time. What is time even when you're in grief? Luna stopped eating. Having had three dogs before her, I knew this was the cardinal sign. If she isn't doing the things that she loved or found enjoyment from anymore, then it was time. We tried to coax her with all of her favorite things, apples, cucumbers, frosty paws, treats, and nothing worked. She was clearly sick, her body lightly shaking. She had had some accidents. All of the signs were there, but we still took her to the vet for a $250 visit in which an x-ray told us nothing except there was some, quote, internal swelling at the only way to know for sure what was going on was surgery. And that for a 12.99-year-old large dog, surgery was not recommended. She was full of lumps and bumps and growths, and we've known that some of those were cancerous for a couple of years now. Andy had left with Micah to pick up Zoe from daycare, and I got on the floor with Luna. I looked into her foggy eyes and I held her big head in my hands 
sweet girl, I asked her, can you please tell me if it's time? Can I help you or do you need to go? And she did give me a sign. For 12.99 years, it was her job to take care of us, me especially. This had been a running joke because if Andy and I got into an argument or had an excited conversation, she came and she sat on my feet and she stared him down ever since she was 10 pounds all the way up until she was 75 pounds. Sometimes to make her point clear, she even started barking at him. She was, like many dogs, intuitive. She always sensed what I needed, and before my tears came, I found her next to me as if waiting to catch them. During the months when I was in Seattle, before I came home to take care of my mom, Luna had become a therapy dog, an unofficial therapy dog. She laid with me. She slept with me. She never left my side. She followed me around the house. She waited outside the bathroom door. She knew that I needed her. She watched both of my babies come into the world and she guided them. She taught Micah how to crawl so early in his little life by playing with her squeaky toy and coaxing him along. She would drop it in front of him like dangling a carrot until he scooted almost close enough to grab it and she'd pick it up, taking steps backwards. Her name was their first word. As I lay on the floor with her, tears streaming down my face, she just looked, not at me, but through me. It reminded me of the look that my mom had on her face for the last 24 or so hours she was alive. Her eyes were foggy, and she stared into the corner of the ceiling in our basement. The hospice nurse shared that she likely saw somebody there who was waiting for her. I think it was my grandma. Luna's tail didn't budge, not even a wiggle. I could always use my super high-pitched voice to get a wag out of her. But in this moment, after these questions... There was nothing. So I made the call. There is a beautiful service near us where the doctors come to your home. Your pet can be wherever you want and you can hold them and just be present with them in the moment. There was no way I was lifting her back into the car, back to the vet to be in a sterile and cold environment. So we had to pay an extra fee for this same day service but given the next day was my birthday, I couldn't bear to watch her suffer or know she was in pain, let alone live the rest of my life with my best dog's death day on my actual birthday. Micah came home and threw open the garage door excited for his buddy's birthday party in just an hour when he found me laying next to her crying. I waited for Andy to walk in and I told him that I called. I told him I asked for an hour just to be with her and he nodded knowingly at me. Micah's eyes filled with tears, and he was slowly realizing what the conversation was about. I asked him to sit down, and he started screaming, No! No! She can have some medicine! Or the surgery! The doctor said she could have surgery! The reason I'm sharing all of these details with you 
is number one, because our stories can heal. And number two, because these are the layers of grief that need to be talked about. How do we make space for our own grief and hold the grief of our children? How do we walk through all of it together? When my mom died, Micah was still in Seattle and I was with her in Indiana. COVID had just shut down the world. He was also just five. He hurt and he still does for sure. But now he was right here. Grief was right in front of him. I told him he could do whatever he felt he needed. I told him he could say goodbye to Luna and go to his friend's party. He had some moments of what felt like shock and denial, lots of bargaining. If we could just get her to eat, mom. And then he decided he wanted to stay home with her. He said he needed to be with her. So for an hour, we loved on her in our living room. She laid on her bed and we pet her and we hugged her and we rubbed her big floppy ears. Through that time, Micah told me approximately 100 times that he did not want to watch her die. Each time he said it, I gently assured him he could go upstairs whenever he needed to, and he did not need to be present for that part. Throw into the mix a one-year-old French bulldog blissfully unaware that her big sister was leaving soon and a two-and-a-half-year-old toddler that kept saying, bye, Luna, in a tone that conveyed, see you later, and it was truly a room full of mixed emotions. I watched my husband teeter between doing the thing he does when he attempts to shut out or run from his emotions, which is to be busy and fully falling apart. In fact, I have only seen him cry real tears, meaning seeing actual liquid come from his eyeballs, three times in 13 years. And there they were. Tears. So many tears. We put Zoe down for a nap and took the puppy upstairs while we savored the last 15 minutes of quiet with Luna. Micah cried when he saw the car pull into the driveway and he ran upstairs. I choked out all of my second guesses for the doctor. I needed those final reassurances that this was in fact the right decision. Much like a hospice nurse, she was gentle and she listened empathetically, nodding as I painted the picture of the last few months. Yes, she agreed. Luna's body was starting to shut down. I am still struck by all of the loss my little family has experienced in the last four years. People say shit like, you're no stranger to grief, but each loss hurts in its own unique way. And even when you quote, know it's coming, grief is funny that way because you are never prepared. Even when you are grief certified and have studied the shit out of it, even when you have coached others through it, that is what makes grief so fucking human. It is always there. It is never easy. It is complicated and it creates an echo effect. A term I just fell upon today from a therapist named Shannon Schreibeck. There are secondary losses and there are the complexities of grieving with others who may grieve differently than you. We were in it. 
We held Luna's paws as the sedative was put into the IV. She gently laid her head down as if she had finally accepted that she didn't have to watch over us anymore. And she fell into the symphony of deep snoring that has soothed me for 12.99 years. The nurse asked Andy and I if we were ready and we could only nod our heads. We laid on her and stroked her as her snores got louder. We sobbed into her fawn fur as her body became still and the snores turned into whispers. And then they stopped. The whole process felt so eerily similar to watching a human die. How does the phrase go? We come into the world on an in-breath and we go out of the world with an exhale. The following 24 hours paint a picture of what I wish more folks talked about openly. The total and utter confusion that accompanies grief. As my dog's 75 pound body was carried out of our home to be cremated, we were left with a gaping hole in our family. We were left with one tiny person who didn't understand that Luna was gone gone, a little person who was actively grieving and struggling with the quickness of it all, two adults grieving while trying to explain and hold space for what the littler people were feeling, and a 15 pound pup who came downstairs looking for her big sister. So I want to close this story with some important thoughts for you. Number one, losing a pet is hard. For most people, this constitutes losing a family member. Your grief is real and your grief is valid. Number two, pet grief deserves the same amount of love and empathy as any other type of grief. It is no less valid or important because it quote, wasn't a real person. <laughs> the truth is sometimes I really thought Luna was the wisest soul in our house anyway. Number three, give yourself permission to honor your pet just the way you would honor your person. For us, this means we will spread Luna's ashes at her favorite place in Cannon Beach. We will plan that trip as a family. Right now, her ashes are comfortably placed next to my mom's ashes in our living room with her paw print. We talk to her and we tell her we miss her. Zoe waves at her and I'm going to make Micah a blown glass paw with her ashes spun into it for Valentine's Day. It may take some time for you to figure out what feels right for you. And that's okay too. And because the universe is an incredible place, I am in awe and also not surprised at all that my glimmer came the very next day. It was my birthday, and I declared that even though it was my birthday, we were not celebrating. We stayed in our pajamas, we cried, we huddled together under blankets on the couch, and we felt super shitty, and that's what we all needed. It was early in our evening, Chicago time, when three dear friends texted me within minutes of each other, Mandy, look! A rainbow. 
look, Mandy, look at this rainbow. I'm thinking of you right now. It covers the entire city of Seattle. Look, Mandy, a birthday rainbow, a lunar rainbow. To be thought of in that moment and have three people reach out and take the time to send a text and a picture was absolutely soul quenching. And I know that was Luna. She was a Pacific Northwest girl. She didn't mind the drizzle. She loved the lack of humidity and she adored swimming in the Pacific. So she used my three dear friends to show me she had in fact made it to the Rainbow Bridge. Classes started last week for me and I have my students complete an activity titled Courage in fill in the blank with the class name. So courage in interpersonal communication, courage in intercultural communication. And the idea is for them to start thinking about courage in the ways that Brene Brown defines it instead of in this big heroic way and to allow students to really start to accept the fact that being in class and being a student and speaking their mind and asking questions and challenging a thought, those are all really important acts of courage. So she considers these kind of buckets, these parts of courage, and it's powerful when we understand that to be alive is to be courageous. Courage is not just for a heroic movie scene. It's not just for people who save lives. The buckets of courage that Brene talks about are, number one, asking for what you need. Number two, speaking your truth. Number three, owning your story. Number four, setting boundaries. Number five, reaching out for support. So the questions I ask my students are based on her curriculum. The first one is I ask them, when was the last time you saw someone do something courageous and what was it? And I ask them to describe the act of courage and then place it with one of the buckets that Brene describes. And in order to help you to be able to see this in your own life, I'll share how I would have completed this activity. The last time I saw somebody do something courageous was when my nine and a half year old son, who was so excited to walk down the street with his new football gloves and his buddy's birthday present and have fun for three hours eating cake, pizza, and playing football, took off the gloves, set down the present, allowed himself to cry, and asked me, if he could skip the party and stay with Luna. At nine and a half years old, he had the courage to ask for what he needed, even though what he needed scared him. He knew he wanted to say goodbye to Luna. He knew she was going to die. He knew he didn't want to see her die. So he leaned on us and he asked for the support that he needed. He spoke about how he felt and you know what, as a parent, it's probably one of my proudest moments. The second question 
is when was the last time you did something courageous and what did you do? The last time I did something courageous was on my birthday. Even though I have two small children who were grieving more one than the other, it was my birthday. Birthdays are really exciting for children. I also asked for what I needed and I set boundaries. I said, today's my birthday. And later on, we're going to eat the cake that you baked me, and that's fine. But we're not going to celebrate today. It doesn't feel right. I'm not going to fake it until I make it. We just lost a member of our family. So on my birthday, we sat around, and we didn't talk about how it was my birthday. And I don't feel bad about that. I feel like it was an act of courage to be able to show my kids That in that moment, on that day, even though historically in the U.S. American culture, birthdays are synonymous with celebration, I needed to feel my feelings. And those feelings were heavy and dark and sad and angry. So as we walk into this new year, please know that I'm holding space for anyone who is doing so without their person or their people, or their pets. Whether this is your first year or your 10th, it's still a new year without them, and that's really fucking hard. Time and grief are hard, and when you're grieving, this whole idea of new year, new me, new start can feel fill in the blank. I just like the word heavy. I like hard. I like difficult. I like strenuous because while many of us are trying to make some big changes, maybe for the better, it's also important to recognize and meet ourselves right where we are. Please share this episode. We don't talk enough about grief in general, let alone the grief that comes with pet loss. And while I'm super not on board with the in or out list for the new year, I am on board with one particular in. Sharing our stories, particularly around grief. Let's normalize the shit out of that in 2024 because it's human and we are human. Please remember to go to wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review It means so much to me. The card I pulled for us today is from Gabby Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back deck. And it says, true manifestations are powered by service and love. And I hope that that is a message that you can take with you into this new year and these new weeks. And buckle up. Because by the end of this month, I have a launch that will rock your world filled with community and connection and giveaways and beta groups and all the things and stickers. I made stickers. So get ready. Please follow along. It's coming soon and I could not be more excited. Happy New Year to all of you. Please be well.